This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my adorable service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be talking with Mary Healy Jamil about her award-winning film, Search Dog. And this is an awesome film that gives the insider story of search and rescue dogs. So don't go away. We'll be right back after these quick messages as we welcome Mary Healy Jamil to the show. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Ducks on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Mary, and welcome. Good morning, Marcy. How are you? Oh, we're great, and we're so thrilled that you're with us today. We want to hear all about your film. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it. Wow. Well, tell us, how did you decide to create a film about search and rescue dogs? Well, I was really interested in understanding more of sort of history of humans and dogs and how we evolved together. And then I came upon the story of Matthew Zarella. And Matthew Zarella was a Rhode Island State Police Sergeant. And he has sort of renowned for rescuing dogs from dog pounds and turning them into search and rescue dogs. I came across this article about how his team had won a national award. And I reached out to the Rhode Island State Police and asked if I could observe the team. And it sort of unfolded from there. Wow. Well, I'm sure Matthew was really excited that you were calling to tell him you wanted to do a show, a movie on him. You know, I honestly, I'm not sure that he was. (laughs) Uh, He was a really busy person, actually, with his dogs and had been called to searches all over the country and Vietnam and trained dogs all over the country as well. And so I think it was sort of he felt a little bit like a mixed blessing because (laughs) here I was. At first, it was just I was observing he and his colleague, Scott Carlston, as they were training. I didn't know right away that it would be a, you know, a documentary. I just sort of wanted to understand, could this be 
could this be a film? And if so, what was the story? And I have to tell you, the first day that I observed them training was in this abandoned amusement park. And I had never really been exposed to working dogs before. And I have to tell you, Marcy, it was the most incredible thing to watch these men work with these animals in this incredibly patient, methodical way. And basically, I followed Matt the first day. He was sort of setting up a crime scene. And these are both search and rescue live person search dogs and cadaver dogs. And they have various means and ways by which they find missing people. And that particular day, they were setting up basically a crime scene or a murder scene to train the dogs. And I had never seen anything like it. It was quite extraordinary and very sobering. But at the same time, you know, for working dogs, they, they have to stay up and focused. And so it was this very interesting dynamic between this very serious matter, but also this really fun dynamic with the dog. I had never expected such an incredible, you know, thing to unfold. And I really knew that day, that very first day that I wanted to continue to watch and see what would happen. The question was, how do you tell the story? And it turned out that it required sort of a lot of patience to understand how to best film it and show it so that people could really feel immersed and walk alongside these canine handlers. Wow. Well, and it is. I mean, when you see working dogs do their job and interact with their human partners, I always say it's like it's like being in the presence of magic. I mean, really getting to see that. But like you said, how do you capture that on film? Yeah, must have been a, a really interesting challenge. And how did you talk Matt into doing the film? <laughs> well, it's interesting. So he'll say, well, I, he will say, well, I was ordered to do it. And in a way, <laughs> being a, a state trooper, he kind of was because I asked permission. And it's not like he had necessarily had the option to say no. Although, of course, he had to agree because it was far more than, than just him on the job because... As you know, these dogs are not just working dogs. They're also companions and family members. And so I really wanted to understand his story and his backstory. How did he come upon this for his lifelong quest and how he dedicated himself to find missing persons? It takes so much more than just a nine to five you know, job where you punch the time clock. So it did turn out that I ended up getting to know him and his family really well. And it really required all of that for me to understand how he came to understand his sort of calling in life. And as you see in the film, we go in a little bit into his backstory and you understand sort of, you know, his childhood calling with dogs. And, and it's quite, quite moving. Can you share some of that with us, Mary? Sure, sure. So Matthew, he's some a really interesting person. So when I began filming, he was training multiple teams for the Rhode Island State Police. He was training search and rescue canine team. He was also training the urban search and rescue canine team and then other teams around the country. And I had no, absolutely no idea. To me, he was just this really smart guy who, you know, is super upbeat and intense and, you know, super athletic. All those things you'd think of with a first responder slash canine handler, search and rescue person. And I never expected that he would have been someone who had suffered from dyslexia. And as it turns out, when he was a young child, he had a really hard time in school and he didn't know why necessarily. And we sort of discover this in the movie. And he was kind enough to allow me to ask about that and for him to share about it. And he talks very frankly about how, you know, when everybody else is coming down on you as a child and you 
kept getting in trouble in school and your parents are yelling at you and your teachers are yelling at you. When you go home and you lock yourself in your room, you've got your dog. And how many of us kind of feel that way even now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's sort of where he allowed me to go in that story. And I think it's such an inspiring part of the story because, you know, I'm a professor at the University of Rhode Island and I teach and I am a lifelong learner as well. And I can tell you that, of course, I have my shortcomings and I have my strengths, but at every point and every turn, I absolutely learn from watching my dog and from watching these dogs. They have so much to teach us about loyalty, compassion, patience and intelligence and leadership. You know, I think that there's a lot to be said for how dogs understand leadership and certainly how people like Matt Zarella have taught me and show people in the film about leadership. I could not agree with you more, Mary. <laughs> I mean, I've been partnered with a dog now for going on 30 years, and, and I'm still amazed at that every day, sure. that genuine. I mean, they're so present. They're so authentic. You know, there's no other agendas for the exactly. dog. I mean, it's, it's, it is really so powerful. And that's so beautiful that Matt really opened up about that and shared that because that can be so helpful to other parents of kids that they may be frustrated with and to exactly. really look at it in a different way. That's just so beautiful. And Matt has done some tremendous work in the criminal justice field with yes. the cases that he's worked on and that he talks about that in the film quite a bit, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, the searches and cases that you see in the film, obviously there are hundreds that Matt worked on and, you know, there are so many unsolved because so many of these searches are speculative, meaning you only have a certain amount of information to go on. But clearly the dog's ability within the criminal justice realm to help find missing persons, whether that's live persons who have recently been lost or kidnapped, or people that have been found and uh, lost cold cases that are unsolved after 5, 10, 20, 30 years. As you'll see in Search Dog, Matt was called by the U.S. military to help locate missing persons in Vietnam, missing soldiers in Vietnam. And he and Maximus were able to locate the remains of a missing American soldier who had been shot down in 1966. And that was in 2003. So their role, these dogs' role in terms of finding missing persons and helping to solve unsolved cases is an incredibly untapped resource and very exciting to watch. Wow. I know you think about, like you said, the immediate cases, something that mm -hmm. just happened, but you don't think about something that's decades ago and especially in another country like Vietnam. Wow. Right. That's, right. that's amazing. What an experience that must have been for them. And like you said, it's untapped. We really need to think about that and how mm -hmm. we could use these incredible resources to find these people that have been lost for so long. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so how did you, when you were, I do want to ask you this about getting started for the film, because I know yes. so many people want to, they want to create documentary films. Yes. How did mm -hmm. you raise the money, Mary, as a university person? professor. How did you do that? So I worked on, well, this took a little bit of time. <laughs> so I began the film with some small grants, seed funds, and for the entire duration of the film, my own sweat, which was 
really fine and completely enjoyable. But I also did a Kickstarter campaign where in about 32 days, we raised about $73,000. And that was really helpful in terms of getting us to the next level to nearly completing the film. And then along the way, I've just been able to continue to raise money with grants. And that's been wonderful. What kind of grants did you get? Mostly a lot of Rhode Island State Council artist grants, mm-hmm. uh, humanities grant uh, at the beginning for development, which was incredibly helpful. And let's see, the University of Rhode Island also has competitive grants that I was able to to get awarded, and that about sums it up. And a wow. great deal of personal funds as well. Yeah, yeah. And am I right to understand that it was you filmed it for over four and a half years? That is correct. Yes. So I have to say the first six months was mostly observing and filming trainings. What was really interesting is, you know, the way that I needed to film it was what is called sort of verite style, meaning you're sort of a fly on the wall. You're really trying to be unobtrusive and you're not interfering at all with the canine work. That was really important to do it that way because obviously you're working in an environment that's very different. You can't tell people what to do. You can't tell people, oh, excuse me, but while you're trying to train this dog or imprint this dog, can you please do X, Y, Z? No, we couldn't do that. So I had to sort of learn how to film unobtrusively, gain all of these teams' trust and have them get sort of get to know me. And sure, I just sort of observed for a long time and filmed a lot of trainings. And in a way, unbeknownst to me, I was being trained as well. So I knew exactly on that first search, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I really understood sort of how to film that first search and not be a in the way or and also also get what we needed to try to tell the story but as you know a search that's unfolding is very complicated yeah and and i would and i was gonna say and we're gonna talk about that i want to hear more about that mary exactly how you were doing that in those real-time missing person searches so hang on to that thought and (laughs) you guys our listeners you stay put and come right back after we hear these important messages from our sponsors Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Mary Healy Jamil about her amazing award-winning documentary film, Search Dog. And before we heard those messages from our sponsors, we were talking about how what's so incredible about this film is that Mary actually was doing a lot of footage during real-time missing person canine searches. So tell us a little bit more about that, Mary. 
how in the world did you film that so that you weren't compromising an investigation, but yet you were capturing all of that wonderful information to share with us? So it's really interesting. The first search that I was called to uh, with Matthew and all of these searches, invariably you get the call in the middle of the night. So that was a really interesting challenge to always be ready, just like the first responders are ready. And so I got a call from Matt around 1.30 in the morning. He said, Mary, saddle up. We have a missing person search. It's a child, six oh. years old, and it's in one socket, which is about... Mm, for both of us, we live at other ends of the state, was still about 45 minutes away for both of us. Typically, the parents go out first, and they're totally frantic, as you can imagine. And then the local police are called, fire department's called, and by the time Matthew's called, and, and the rest of the canine units, there's probably about 300 people on the scene, first responders from various search and rescue, fire, police, etc. So... That was a lot larger than I had ever experienced. And so it was very interesting. And I sort of knew that my first job was simply to observe, absorb, and, you know, when appropriate, film. And one of the ways in which I was able to capture this material on my own was that I would mic Matt up and one of the other handlers typically, I would mic them up at the beginning of the night at the beginning of the search, and I would simply leave the audio recording. And that way, when I was able to intermittently film, I could use material from other audio, if necessary, to fill in the gaps in the narrative. So as you can imagine, I think from that night, it was about 16 hours of audio <laughs> yeah. for that one search. You know, So it was an incredibly interesting challenge to film, but on the other hand, it's simple when I knew that my charge pretty much was to follow Matthew and occasionally some of the other handlers as they were trying to solve this puzzle. So Matthew was in charge of the incident command, you know, getting all of the teams out and overseeing all of the strategy for how the teams would be searching. So he would be going from the canine command center to the incident command center where the local police were. And so that was really interesting for me. I had seen this once before in a, in a large training, but it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see just how resources come together to help save the life of a missing person. It was so incredible to watch how these teams use resources together, how they come together, not just for using canines, but also other first responders. And in that evening, the local correctional officers, search and rescue, were really instrumental in helping to find the child. Wow. Great story. I, Great ending. Oh, good. Good. I was going to yeah. say, I, I hope it was a good ending. It was yes. Incredible. Yes. It really was. And like you said, it is. It's, it's really it's overwhelming. It's exhilarating. It's everything when all those emotions, when you see that kind of team and action, like you said, there's 300 people. But then when you see the order that can come into that of how these teams work together and work independently, I mean, it's, it's just, it's amazing to it see that. Amazing. Yeah. And I'll say, so the last search wasn't really a search in the film. It was following Matthew and Buster at the the marathon, the year, Boston Marathon, the year after the bombing. And so Matthew ended his career with his canine Buster, who was a explosive detection dog. And he was 
kind of, it's interesting, you know, here he's this renowned canine search and rescue guy finishing his career as this kind of, I don't want to say ordinary bomb dog guy, but he was. And the lo and behold, the year before Boston Marathon happens, and then, you know, he finished his career helping to secure that last marathon. And after the Boston bombing, it was an extraordinary experience to witness that. I wish we, I could have shown all of the footage that I had in the, in the film, but you get a sense of the scale and the scope of it in the last minutes of Search Dog. And it's a really beautiful thing to watch. That is so powerful. Wow. Wow. Well, I can't imagine all the footage that you had and trying <laughs> to get that down to 88 minutes, which is what the documentary is. Exactly. So how did, how did you do that, Mary? Oh, boy. Well, you know, sort of one moment at a time. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I think the story unfolded a bit organically. You know, we I really wanted to follow Matthew's story, but also follow some of the stories of his students that we come to know in the movie, and also the volunteers who appear in the movie. And obviously trying to fit all that in is fairly complicated, but if you really follow the sort of simple story of this one man who, you know, he had a sort of rough start at life, and like so many of the dogs that we follow, he was super high drive and we, he was always in trouble and he needed a focus and he needed, you know, something to connect his passion to. And I believe that in many ways, his work, his calling to do this work was that and his incredible drive, his high drive translated into saving the lives and finding many, many missing people who would not have been found. And to be able to follow that thread in Search Dog was really, really exciting. And that's really what I wanted to focus on. And that's what we did. I know it's so lovely. And it, it really brings home the whole idea of if you really can find your calling, you know, if you really embrace it and you find out what it is that you're passionate about and then you do that and then look at everything that unfolds from that and all the people you can touch and the, the miracles really that you can make happen if you just can embrace your own your own skills and your own weaknesses. Exactly. You know? Yeah, which is which exactly. is okay. We look at that as a negative, but it's not always negative. Exactly. It's it really is if we can just make peace with that and embrace it. And boy, does Matthew ever do that <laughs> with gusto. He, embra <laughs> he embraces it, and then look at all the lives that he touches through that, and the dogs who are also so close to the brink. You know, they're so close to disaster and tragedy. And yet he brings them back. So tell us a little bit about that, about how he gets sure. the dogs. So um, his first dog, Hannibal, was actually his pet, Swiss Mountain Dog. And so he, his first dog was not a rescue. It was simply his pet. And he convinced, sort of convinced the state police that he wanted to train Hannibal to be a search and rescue dog. And they said, uh, no. <laughs> so he went on, he, he did it on his own. And then, however, he rescued a series of other dogs from the brink. One of his dogs, Maximus, was a, a rescue from a hound, and he was considered too aggressive. And then you'll see in the movie Ruby, who was hours of being away from euthanized, he rescued her and 
turned her into a search and rescue dog and trained her as well as her handler, Daniel O'Neill. And by the way, Ruby is up for a canine hero dog award this year. So if you can vote for Ruby. (laughs) Yay, Ruby. Wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then Zeus is another dog that rescued at the same time from the same shelter that Ruby was rescued at. And we, so we follow Ruby and Zeus on their, you know, sort of course of training over a couple of years to their first searches. And we watch how, how it's done. And it's really just patience and love and methodically continuing to be consistent with the training. Yeah. And love. That's, that's, that's the key. It's, it's that simple and it's that hard. Yep. Exactly. exactly. Well, I have to ask you, so what do you think is your greatest takeaway from this project, Mary? Wow. There are so many. My goodness. So I'll just relate it to my own dog because I do have a dog. I'm a lifelong dog lover. And I think the the greatest takeaway is for me not to put stress on my animal. So if I learned anything from these canine handlers, it's partly about stress and it's about gentleness and patience and how that's really what they require of us. And when I say don't put stress in my dog. It's not like, you know, I'm very kind to my dog, but also not to bring it home. If I had a stressful day at work, just to leave it at the door. And, you know, all the things that my dog teaches me about being in the present moment and appreciating the breeze on your face and, you know, those very simple things. It's that to not allow human stress to interfere in my own day-to-day life, you know? Yeah. And boy, how that can serve us in so many aspects of our lives is a really great lesson, life lesson. Yes. (laughs) And I also want to ask you, what kind of advice would you give other people who are interested in making a documentary film based on all of your experiences? What would you say to them? Well, I think for me, one of the things that was very important was I see a lot of anthropomorphization of dogs, and I, I think it's really unfair Dogs are not humans and shouldn't be objectified, in my view. And I think that's one thing that I worked really, it's very obvious that I don't do that in the movie. And I think that's a really important thing, you know. As much as we use the word hero, you know, it should be used lightly and with the seriousness it requires. And so I don't want to put dogs on a pedestal and I don't want to anthropomorphize them. And I would hope that other filmmakers, especially documentary filmmakers, wouldn't do that. I think it's important that we recognize these beings for the talent and intelligence that they have. And that if we do that, then we can really learn from them as much as we can. Because if we're looking for human qualities in these dogs, well, we're only going to see what we're looking for rather than finding something that we don't know or are unaware of ourselves. And I think that, for me, is a really important point. And I have to remind myself of that all the time, not to objectify my own dog or other dogs. They're not just fuzzy, cute things. They are sentient, intelligent Yes, much, much deeper than that. Yes, yes. I love that point. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. And I loved how, even in the trailer, I loved how you had the dog getting the pizza. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I love that because that is so how they are. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, come on. 
<laughs> I know they're a dog, right? Exactly. Artistic. They're, they're absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I just love that. I just was giggling all day when I saw that, thinking about Ruby getting that pizza. I was like, "All right, Ruby. Yep, that's awesome." Well, you know, the ter- the really funny thing is that scene. I mean, that was the first day I was allowed to film at the barracks, and I was so incredibly conflicted. Do I let this dog steal the pizza, or do I? What do I do? Do I try to not let the dog? It was like a complete like moment of torment. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and not for Ruby. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know I, we could sit and talk to you about this all day, Mary. But before you have to leave us, I want to ask you: please tell our listeners how they can get more information about the film and how they can see the film. Thank you. Yes, so you can go to our website, which is searchdogmovie.com. And on the top of the website, there are links to iTunes and Amazon. On iTunes, if you purchase the film, which is $14.99, you will be able to see our 30 minutes of extras that are scenes that no one else can see and uh, that are really, really funny. I mean, really laugh out loud, kind of pee your pants funny. So hopefully you can check that out. Amazon doesn't offer me the ability to do that, but you know, you can also see it on Amazon. You just can't see the extras. So you can check that out on iTunes or Amazon. And uh, starting September 1st, it'll be available on Voodoo. So if somebody has a Voodoo subscription, you can see it there. Wonderful. Well, I know all our listeners are going to want to see this because it is an amazing film and you did a beautiful job with it. And Matthew is just, wow, what a leader and inspiration he is and all the dogs and all the students and the volunteers. So it's just a wonderful film, Mary. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for bringing that film to us and giving us a glimpse into search and rescue dogs. And they are incredible. Thank you for all of the work that you do. You have such a wonderful podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to it. Oh, thank you, Mary. You're so sweet. Well, you'll have to come back and keep us posted on future projects. I will. And we have more in the works. Awesome. I'm sure you do, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) And we we want you to come back and tell us about them. Yes, that sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We'd love for you to join us. And you know that Lovey and I love to hear from you. So keep those emails, questions, comments, and your ideas for future shows. And you know you can email us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And as always, Lovey and I invite you to follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We just love connecting with you. And you'll have to see the photo I posted of Lovey this morning on Instagram out in our wildflower patch. So you guys check that out on Instagram and we'll be looking for your photos. So thanks so much for being with us and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.